global phenomenon, Surviving the Survivor, where we bring you the best guests in all of true crime. What's up, STS Nation, and welcome to a breaking edition of Surviving Survivor, the podcast that promises to bring you the very best guests in all of true crime. You heard me right. We have some uh, big breaking news developing out of New York City. Ironically, I'm coming to you from an undisclosed location today uh, in Los Angeles, uh, far from where I used to report in New York, and I had actually reported a little bit on this case. New York police have cracked a 13-year-old serial killer case, uh, at least partially they have cracked it. A 59-year-old Long Island resident, Rex Hewerman, is now in police custody. He was in court just a few moments ago, charged Friday with murder in the deaths of three of the 11 victims in the so-called Gilgo Beach uh, murders. Uh, authorities say that Rex Hewerman was, quote-unquote, a demon walking among us. Finally, it appears that the victims and their families have gotten some modicum of justice, but as uh, investigators uh, were just speaking uh, before the cameras, there is a long, long way to go. Uh, no two better guys to have to discuss this than the best guests who are so good, there's a show for them every Friday. Great Scott, it's your true crime, Phil. Uh, of course, you know him, Detective Phil Waters. Uh, I don't know if that's a Hawaiian shirt. It looks like a Hawaiian shirt, but- uh, It is a Hawaiian shirt. I have uh, hula girls, I have flowers, <laughs> poinsettias, I have, uh, uh, what else do I have on this? Lays, yes, this is, a, uh, this is a Hawaiian shirt. That is a beautiful oh, one. A beautiful one, and uh, on my system here, I just lost your bio, but I don't even need it, Phil, because I know you so well. He is America's most respected detective, spent 33 years in law enforcement, 23 of those as a homicide detective in the Houston Police Department, arguably one of the best homicide departments in all the nation, and arguably one of the best homicide detectives ever to do the work. Um, Phil Waters is also a Marine, the owner of Kindred Spirits Investigations, and starred in the show The Interrogator. And uh, as I said, he's investigated over 400 homicide cases, so no better person to talk to about this than the great, great Phil Waters. Uh, following that up is Scott Duffy, uh, a director of Wilmington University's Criminal Justice Institute now, but Scott is a retired FBI supervisory special agent uh, of the Wilmington, Delaware Resident Agency. He worked violent crime matters, gangs, bank robberies, and fugitive task force cases for 20 years. And prior to that, it was five and a half years with the PD in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. So um, we have a big story uh, on our hands here today, um, gentlemen. Rex Hewerman uh, is arrested in police custody they uh, cracked this case. I just want to say that the first victims, uh, the one that the ones he is responsible for, uh, known as a Gilgo Four, although he was only charged with three, are Amber Lynn Costello. She was 27. <clears throat> Maureen Brainerd Barnes, 25. Megan Waterman, 22. Melissa Bartholomew, 24. Police, as I say, have arrested suspect Rex Hurman on Thursday evening in connection with the Gilgo Beach serial killer case. 
Uh, this has been confirmed. It is out in the open now. Uh, a handful of young women were found wrapped in burlap along a strip of Ocean Parkway within a few days of one another in late 2010. And apparently uh, investigators got some hairs off those uh, bodies in the burlap, which was uh, so degraded. Uh, but a special task force was assembled last year uh, and they were able to streamline this and get to the bottom of it. Uh, De- Detective Phil Waters, before we get into the details of this case, your reaction to hearing that a 13-year-old serial case uh, killer case has now apparently been cracked. Kudos to those detectives over, uh, I think these first started occurring, what, 2011? Is that right? Yeah, I believe so. I have to find the numbers. That's when they first started. I think they discovered a body at one location, and all of a sudden three more popped up. And 2010, 2010. 2010, okay. And over time, I guess over that year period, they had as many as 10, 10 or 11 bodies, I think, were discovered there. So... Uh, kudos to the detectives, and I'm sure there have been many over this last decade or so that have involved themselves in that case, and good for them. They stuck with it, and now we have a suspect in custody. And, Phil, what do you say? Because I know there's going to be people out there already <clears throat> who are saying, these guys took 13 years. What took them so long? <clears throat> well, I'm not even going to qualify that question with an answer. Uh, I mean, those people that they do it with all of these cases, you know, and they've got their own take on everything. And, uh, you know, it's like I've always said that, you know, of all the jobs that I've had, this is the only job I've ever had where there were more people that knew how to do it better than me having never done it. So um, to those folks that would, make an issue. Uh, I'm just the opposite of that. Again, I give kudos to those detectives that stuck with it. These cold cases, uh, look, you just hit the wall sometimes. That's why they turn into cold cases. And that they kept after it, kept after it, kept after it. And again, we now have a suspect in custody. So good for them and the haters and the, uh, those folks, I don't even pay any attention to They don't have anything to offer to the discussion. Scott Duffy, um, you know, some of the investigators didn't get emotional, but you could tell it was very heartfelt that um, as important as this investigation was to them, it was more important to get justice for the families all these years later. What is it like when you can go to the families and say, we believe we have the person responsible for this? Oh, there's not there's nothing like it. This is this is part of what a law enforcement officer, detective, and somebody really puts their time and energy, it is all for the victim. And and because in this case, it's a homicide, homicides, the victim's families are who you, you get close to. And, and uh, so you, you develop a, a, an absolute relationship, especially for something that is taking so long and that, you know, especially as, as information is coming out, that they never drop the ball. This is just something that's been any time something came up that they can um, put action to, they were on it. And, uh, and, and this, is a, this is a perfect example of how 
different law enforcement tools that have really developed over the years have, you know, you, you captured information back in 2010. You didn't have the proper resources, analytical research to do things with it. And, and, um, and so detectives kept great reports, putting information that obviously allowed detectives of the now, um, handling information from from a bold because people move on but that information well recorded reported and uh and look where we are today fantastic and job and kudos to all those involved uh phil and scott i'm going to read something here uh and it's a little lengthy but this is sort of how this case unraveled um According to witnesses, around the time of these communications between the burner cell phone, and they found out this guy, Rex Hurman, the suspect in custody, had at least seven burner cell phones. So around the time of these communications between the burner cell phone and the Costello phone on September 1st or 2nd of 2010, she is one of uh, the victims, I believe, uh, Costello, or a attempted victim. Uh, a prostitution client showed up at Ms. Costello's residence located in West Babylon, New York. That's Long Island. After the client entered the home, a ruse was executed. This was not done by police. Um, and this person is believed to be Rex Hurman. So a ruse was executed on the client, on Rex Hurman, whereby a person pretended to be outraged, an outraged boyfriend of Amber Costello, and the client quickly left the residence while Amber Costello retained the money uh, the client had brought to pay for her services. Based upon interviews, that client was described as a large white male, approximately 6'4 to 6 foot 6 inches in height in his mid-40s, with dark, bushy hair and big oval-style 1970s-type glasses. A witness described him to police as appearing like an ogre, Furthermore, a witness noticed a first-generation Chevrolet Avalanche parked in the driveway of the residence. According to the witness, following the ruse, uh, the client said he was just her friend, uh, tell her I'll give her a call, and he walked out uh, the front door. So this happened all the way back uh, in 2010, Phil, now 2023, 13 years. But they were able to go off of some of these descriptions and eventually tie it all together um, you always say it's not just one piece of evidence, um, in this case, certainly not, but how important was it to get sort of a description of this person? Well, it's always very important, and there's that's a double-edged sword. You can get great descriptions. I'm going to, I don't know the case in and out, of course. I'm assuming that they may have gotten a composite done based on that description. So you've got... You've got the face of a potential, of the potential suspect. But I can tell you sometimes those descriptions are so far off. I've had investigations where we had, we did a composite and the composite turned out to look like one of the detectives. And I knew he wasn't a suspect. So, I mean, it's just, uh, it happens with cars, it happens with people, but you have to start, you have to begin at the beginning with these cold cases and those initial descriptions on the front end of this investigation are going to be critical to get to where they have come now. So yeah, you have to start at the beginning and those, those first impressions are always 
always very important. And for those of uh, you joining us for the first time, usually Fridays, uh, great Scott, your true crime Phil, uh, usually a little more levity, uh, but this is a serious case, uh, an important case. It's been cracked. Uh, depending on how time goes, we might get to some of the uh, other stories I had. But uh, for those of you who are new, uh, you've got two of the best investigators in all the land breaking this down. Kimberly C. says, happy Friday, STS Nation. If this Gilgo Beach case proves anything, it's that justice always catches up uh, to the guilty. The long arm of the law has uh, has caught up, apparently, to Rex Hewerman. Uh, obviously, he needs his day in court. Uh, he was in court today, uh, pleaded not guilty to, to three counts of murder. Uh, Scott Duffy, to you, uh, the FBI was brought in on this case, and we'll get to cast, which they uh, applauded, saying the use of cast with, uh, I guess, phone records really helped them here. But um, I think it was the uh, district attorney in Long Island said that they had to assemble, finally, a special task force last year and sort of apologize. He said that they had kept bumping into things with prior investigations because of a quote-unquote too much pressure from other agencies. Uh, you've been in this world. What do you think was going on behind the scenes? Um, were, were they getting, you know, blocked by different entities, maybe over some sort of ego game going on behind the scenes? Uh, yeah, I would say all the above. It's uh, You're talking about a high-profile, decades, decade-plus case uh, cases where this has been on how many news outlets, how many uh, shows with regards to, you know, replaying and looking for information. And and so it's really been on the forefront, I would say, of many, many uh, people throughout, I would say, throughout the world. And and look at the sheer number. You have 11 found in a, in a pretty short span of, of um, you know, of Gilgo Beach, so you you obviously have egos, but I think I think for the most part, professionals know how to check those egos at the door and realize the victim uh, must be at the forefront. But I think also uh, uh, what what is being said is there there's a lot of pressure from maybe even uh, entities outside of law enforcement that are constantly putting pressure on saying, hey, enough's enough, let's get this solved. You have suspects or a suspect and this and that. So, um, you know, ultimately this was, um, especially the task force that's put together by this newly elected DA to really put things together, to put the, the, uh, the old with the new, the experience with, uh, with new technology and, and resources and and everybody had their nose to the grindstone. It seemed like with the grand jury in place, they were just uh, nothing was was going to get in the way. And and so I think um, perhaps some people who were early on in the investigation were not part of the newly formed task force. So it, it's uh, you probably have some feathers ruffled, but but. Uh, DA and the and the commanders and, and of course the investigators knew uh, the victims were their forefront of their minds. And Scott Duffy, uh, the great Phil Waters would not dignify it with, with a response, but there are going to be people out there who say, "What the hell took police and authorities so long?" 
uh, would you dignify it with a response? Would you just tell them to go buzz off? It takes a long time to do good police work. I, I'm, I'd be happy to say that, you know, things developed that weren't available to investigators back then. But um, remember, investigators, unlike other cases that we have discussed, have done, from what I have read and seen over the years, collected and maintained evidence. But evidence had also been degraded as a result of, of time for um, as, as the elements in the environment uh, can do to anything. And instead of discarding it, misplacing it, tossing it, whatnot, they waited. And, and uh, I tell you, this, just, this is an amazing time as we get to see, for example, genealogy. It's been around, but it's constantly being refined. Um, and, and the ability to take information, you know, for example, you mentioned the FBI CAST unit, this, this cellular analysis expert team to be able to, t there was data that was collected back in 2010 and, uh, but the research and the analytical tools that are available weren't probably up to par to, to put things together. So tools today could be used to reanalyze and, and give investigators a better better um, thought of, of, of and narrow in on, on, on their suspect. So it's, it's, a, it's a collection of things, but I would say also, um, you know, we are constant. It seems like every year now technology changes super fast and, and law enforcement is realizing how important it is to, uh, and, and so thereby getting in the same game to, to utilize it for its benefit. Ever the voice of reason, cool, calm, and collected, Scott Duffy. NJ Cool Chick, of course, a shout out to my home state. Uh, thank God it's Friday, SCS Nation, best guest. Can't wait to hear Phil and Scott's take on this case. I read it because of this line. Shout out to Nugget. Uh, Phil, I'm coming to you from Los Angeles. I am uh, staying with friends. They have a dog about half the size of Nugget that doesn't like me, named Butter. And Butter's been nipping at my ankles, and uh, all dogs love me, and I've been uh, mortally offended by this. And I have warned Butter to settle down, or I'm going to, as Scott said, churn Butter. And I hope I don't have to do that. That was a Scott phrase right there. We were talking about it offline, but I just want you to know where I stand uh, with Butter. A little bit of levity on a very uh, serious day here. Robin, uh, I will, I will uh, Nugget is peacefully napping here on her little pillow on the couch, so... Nugget is in the house. Well, I hope uh, not to wake her with any, uh, you know, loud exclamations, but hopefully we see her before the end of the show. Um, I did not know this. This is a developing case, a breaking news story. So uh, there will be pieces of information coming out. And uh, I have cast a net to try to grab as much tidbits of information. But this one I did not see from Robin Sue Weber, Phil. The police department has his belt. He lost it in one of the scuffles, kidnapping and killing these innocent ladies. The belt's initials, H.M., bet you his dad's belt he wore on his pants. His name is Rex Huerman. Uh, don't know what that is. What do you make of that, if anything? And by the way, this suspect is an architect. We'll get into that in a few moments. Um, fairly well-respected architect with some big clients, uh, including Catholic Charities. That was one of them. Uh, he had a Manhattan office. Uh, and his father was reportedly an aerospace engineer. But uh, what would be the relevance, import, the importance in investigation if they, in fact, do have his belt, Phil? 
Well, the the any piece of evidence is especially in a, in a serial killing is critical. So this belt, and I and I don't know other than what she has said here. So if they have the belt and so forth and so on, I would not be too surprised, not knowing the details, if if they were able to pull DNA profiles off of the belts and then do this wonderful resource that they have now, this genealogical DNA tracking, which I wish I had that kind of stuff. It was just kind of in its genesis when I retired. But that that tracing genealogy is amazing. And I would not be too terribly surprised if that's how we get to this suspect, to this evildoer. And he, uh, if that's his father's belt, then of course, if he was wearing it at some point, you're going to have a doorway to go through, uh, through the DNA profile. By the way, he is a married father of two. It always uh, flips me out when you hear these uh, these suspects who are apprehended are uh, living within the community. Uh, Massapequa Park, I believe, is the neighborhood, a very uh, nice suburb of New York City out on Long Island where uh, everyone's got their American flags hanging out. By the way, we'll get to this as well, but they said uh, his was the rundown house and he was sort of the quote-unquote uh, neighborhood creep. Let's go to that now, uh, Scott Duffy. What about that comment? One neighbor did say he was a neighborhood creep. He did have the one house that was run down. Does that tell you anything in terms of sort of a, uh, from a profiling standpoint? I know you're not a profiler, but you work with many. Um, is that something that would stand out to you or, or that you would expect? Yeah, and I, and I even want to go back to um – comment that Phil has made early in the show and throughout the the series of the show that any one of us, anybody can be um, can commit a horrible crime and so it's, it's with regards to here's an individual an outstanding, upstanding at least in the, in the eyes of charity and whatnot, married with kids and um and yet he is now being charged with a horrific three counts of homicide. And my guess is it's, it's, it's not going to stop there. So, um, yeah, he's living two lives, right? He's living the life of someone who's extremely um, um, not only well off, but uh, well respected in his community with his talents of being an architecture and whatnot and his, and his charitable um, uh, uh, involvement. And, and then his extreme, I mean, we're talking an extreme opposite of, it's not just a one-time killing, two or three, you're talking about a series of extremely uh, violent takeovers of the, of, of the most vulnerable, right? They, whatever you want to call them, and and they've been called many different things, from the early days of of the Bible, from prostitutes to sex workers. Uh, I've come across many of them in my career, uh, realizing that they are extremely disenfranchised individuals, many with just horrible upbringings, and uh, to to um, to find themselves at the, in the streets. 
doing whatever they're doing to to make a living and um, and then to be taken advantage, murdered. Um, and and I know there were many stories out there that they they were sex workers, they were prostitutes, so nobody cared. I think I think law enforcement never dropped the ball. Law enforcement never forgot their names. Law enforcement's been in touch with their families, and um, and so now we get to see this is not just some homeless person on the streets who has a severe mental illness, and what you know, this is somebody very calculating. If, if you don't call this evil, I, then I don't know what the word stands for. Well said. Uh, just out of the uh, page of It's a Small World, uh, actor Billy Baldwin, the brother of Alec Baldwin, tweeted out today that he actually graduated high school with this guy out on Long Island in 1981. And uh, he said he was stunned to find this out. Uh, so um, Robin Sue Weber back here, metal initials. This is the belt spelling out dad's initials. Anyone knows dad's first name, that house, that house, speaking of the house we were just talking of, looks like true evil resides there. Uh, scary. Uh, Phil, what about that point? And then we'll start to dig into some of the information that, uh, you know, Scott just made. These were uh, mainly sex workers, sort of on the fringes of society. Uh, when you were confronted uh, in the over 400 homicides that you investigated, I'm sure some had to do with these types of people. Uh, would you take it any less seriously? Would Would you say to yourself, "Oh, these are just sex workers," or would you double down and work just as hard as you would if it was a uh, white collar person that was murdered in their home? My experience has been, and I have always had maintained this philosophy. The people that I work with in the homicide division in Houston, Texas, and I think this is going to permeate throughout any homicide cop that's ever done this job, regardless of a person's status, regardless of a person's race, creed, color, sex, whatever they may be, whatever flavor they are, whatever orientation they are, they were someone to somebody else that they were all important, they all mattered. And so I would tell you that any case I got, any case I got, and my experience has been with other homicide cops, is that any case that we get, we hit that thing running, and we're passionate about solving it, finding the right person who's done the wrong thing, bringing about a measure of justice, and hopefully bring about some peace for the victim's family and friends. So when I hear people say that cops didn't care, homicide cops didn't care because they were on some rung on a ladder that they've created, uh, I would just say uh, you're wrong. Uh, if you're not thankful for law enforcement today, you will never be thankful for law enforcement. Mary Woodruff says, uh, one of the girls went missing in 2007 to 2008. And to be clear, they are still uh, and you've heard Phil and Scott say this over and over again. The investigation in their eyes is just beginning now. Uh, they say they will collect more evidence, and we might find out this goes back uh, a way, way further than just 13 years. Uh, as a former reporter for Fox 5 in New York, I can tell you that this comment is true. There have always been some serious political problems out in Suffolk County, Long Island. Uh, hopefully that's not why we find out the investigation it roadblocks, but it's uh, very possible that it will be uh, the reason. Uh, Julie Fru, you don't even know. Joel does not do well with travel, squeaky voice, sense. Um, 
<laughs> Once I get back, I will probably have to be uh, hospitalized for a few months. It's I haven't even left, really. I'm only here uh, for the first leg uh, for a wedding. And uh, once I embark on the actual trip, uh, 50-50 chance I will be admitted to uh, a hospital. I'm a fragile <laughs> young man. We'll see what happens. Um, and Ketchup saying, you know, she's glad I asked the question about what took so long. Uh, hard work's... Uh, Hard work takes a long time. Riley Fox already coming in. This is going to agitate Phil. They had DNA evidence a decade ago, they said. But let's get in. Phil is waving it off. Um, it's interesting, different people's reactions. So, again, this special task force was assembled last year. Uh, they use this cast, uh, you know, arm of the FBI. Uh, so let's go through some of this. So. Uh, Phil Waters, degraded hairs were found on the original bodies. They could not extract uh, proper DNA samples from that. They used mitochondrial DNA, and Rex Hurman's DNA was found on at least three of the bodies. Let's stop there. What does that mean, they found mitochondrial DNA as opposed to, quote-unquote, regular DNA? Well, the hair is going to be trace evidence, and there are many times where the, the DNA is going to come out of the root, and that is the mitochondrial DNA stuff they're talking about. If they didn't have that, and, and remember now that 10 years later, uh, 12, 13 years later, uh, the, the advancements in DNA technology have, are a thousandfold from what they were then. So the things they're getting now by virtue of the new DNA technology are things that just were not available 10 years ago. So, uh, I, I, again, kudos, as Scott's already uh, talked about, that they preserved that evidence. That's critical right there, that that evidence was preserved. And now we're, we're benefiting, those detectives are benefiting from the proper preservation of that evidence and the advancement in technology. So, it's, it's, it's not one thing at one point in time. It's it's a it's a timeline of events that brings us to this point where again they have got a suspect in custody. Scott Duffy, Sally M. rightly points out that they did have a grand jury. Um, so this guy uh, Rex Hewerman was definitely on the radar for a while. What does it mean that they had assembled a grand jury? What does that tell us? So there are different um, grand juries, right? Different states, different areas, ju different jurisdictions. They're investigative grand juries. They're limited grand juries. The uh, In the federal government, we utilize grand juries uh, quite a bit. They are great investigative tools. They operate in secret. Um, and, and so the job is to give investigators um, – powers of subpoena and and continue and then you can bring in witnesses and have them testify before a grand jury and they're just they're just great tools and and so um ultimately it is the the uh, the power of the court through the grand jury to to uh command somebody to either appear before them and testify or to get documents from any entity that's that's uh, that where documents are needed. So um, they they are fantastic tools. I'm a big believer in them. Have seen great successes with them, and it looks like uh, 
the uh, Suffolk County uh, grand jury was uh, was one of those very successful tools. Uh, John McDaniel, this is the first time I've ever been able to catch you live, even if I am a few minutes late. Greetings from Brazoria County, Phil's old neck of the woods. Where is that, Phil? Is that Oklahoma? No, 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 Brazoria County. That's right there uh, adjoining Harris County in Houston, Texas. Oh, what do and, I know? In fact, I have worked uh, a joint capital murder investigation with members of the Brazoria County Sheriff's Office and the uh, work with the uh, the DA down there. So, yeah, well familiar with that area. And then you've got, uh, look at this, they're all coming out from Phil, Granbury, Texas. No idea where that is either. Granbury, I think that that may be up around uh, Dallas, if I'm not mistaken, but no. I, I could be wrong about that. So, uh, Phil Waters, um, investigators also found out that uh, he used seven burner phones, um, one of which is in their actual physical possession. Um, cell phone records, interestingly, show that his family was out of town was out of town during the commission of the killing of the last three victims. Uh, what about the fact um, the most typical people have these, uh, this amount of burner phones? The only type of people that I've known that had those burner phones were dope dealers and people that were acting in a nefarious way in a variety of different ways. And so I'm not, given what we now know about this particular evildoer, I don't, uh, it doesn't surprise me because he's, as Scott's already said, he's living a double life. And so he's got to accommodate that double life with means of communication that don't link it to what it would be, would call his real life. So not surprised at all. Mm. Uh, KD says, uh, and, and Scott, I know you're listening to some of the press conference. Do you think that the DA gave away too much information to the public? A lot was revealed. Um, did that strike you in any way as a possibility? No, it didn't, especially because it's uh, 13 years. So I think, I think this DA, after assembling this task force and then finally putting together, I mean, they, they, they even spent quite a bit of time with this, um, I believe it was a little over a year. And, and so you're taking 13 years, if not more of, of, um, evidence and, and reports and interviews and putting it all together, you utilizing all the research. So no, I, I think, um, he provided enough information that um, that they probably have been sitting on for some time and then realize, hey, now's the time to execute an arrest and uh, and get this person off the street. It will be interesting to see as 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 history has shown serial killers don't typically just stop. They have, as we've seen like with the Golden Kate. But um, it will be interesting, very interesting to see. And, and, and I think there was something in the press conference about what even pressed them to, to, make, a, uh, to make an arrest as a result of some activity uh, involving Rex. But um, no, I, I think he knew, especially since um, uh, uh, Rex went to court today and there's going to be a lot of information that's going to come out anyway. So why not come out through the chief law enforcement officer? 
uh, Sally M. Uh, Phil, he lives five miles from uh, three locations. The body was found, I guess, from from the locations where the body was found, which is kind of a Bay Area on uh, on the water. Uh, the significance of that, you know, they say that most accidents happen, you know, within a mile or so of your home. Is there any sort of uh, correlation with uh, crimes? Is it you, you usually find out that the suspect is is close to the neighborhood where these crimes happen? Well, sometimes that does occur. Sometimes there is as weird as this may sound, there's an emotional attachment to those victims and he wants to keep them close at hand, knows where they are. And I would not be surprised at all. It may be in an area that he drives by every day so that he gets some sort of a fix or a thrill about every time he drives by that location where he knows those folks he's put there. So, uh, you know, the, the John Wayne Gacy's, those guys that were putting these uh, victims in their in the basement, uh, burying them under that, uh, you know, the, the guy in Texas that was doing the same thing. So that's not surprising, especially for serial killers, that they would put the bodies in the place where they were they would frequent and be able to to relive, relive those events as they uh, pass through there. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone said 11 and probably more victims will find out. Um, did Joel cover this case as a New York media guy? I did, uh, not extensively in any way, but when there were some updates, I do remember going out to Suffolk County uh, to report on it. And uh, obviously it it hung over the uh, collective minds. I was in New York in 2011 at Fox 5, so keep in mind it was very fresh It was as it was happening. Uh, but people were worried back then. Um, it was in the media uh, quite frequently and rightfully so. Um, so, Scott Duffy, there is some more informa- pertinent information that was revealed during this uh, press conference. I've got a lot of notes here today, which is bad news for you. And uh, <laughs> um, fictitious emails were being used. Um, and when they did a Google search, um, over 200 searches were found on the Gilgo Beach investigations. In other words, he was searching uh, the alleged crimes he committed and compulsively searching victims. Uh, is that what you would expect from a serial killer and why? Uh, and I, I think even beyond a serial killer, I, 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 you know, someone who is infatuated, who's watching every move of law enforcement at, as, fa- as far as he can with regards to news reports and whatnot. So, you know, as, as uh, Phil has mentioned before, there's always a double-edged sword. You provide information and then you're worried about is, is, is there going to be information that a suspect who's yet to be caught is going to get rid of whatever evidence. But but human nature, it shows, we, you can't, it, it's... Um, we're just uh, we're human, and so thereby we're we're curious. And and he, knowing what he is doing, is trying to stay one step ahead. And and so these uh, these searches just goes to show he's he's absolutely um, infatuated it, po- possibly reliving it in in every aspect, but also uh, trying to do what he can do. Um. To, to stay ahead of law enforcement. Uh, I, I got to believe he has some idea 
absolutely that 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 um, he's come up in a in a database as a suspect, and so thereby he's he's constantly worried. Every so so he he commits a serious crime. He commits a series of serious crime. He's also now trying to live a regular life with his family, and and in his business. So um, every day he wakes up or every day he goes to sleep, he's worried that that's the last day he gets to sleep in, in a comfortable bed. There's no doubt in my mind that, that he worried every day. But he couldn't stop himself, and so he, um, he, he just kept going and going, and, uh, but nevertheless worried that um, his last day in a comfortable bed before lockup is 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 imminent. Well, that brings me some level of comfort knowing that he was uh, waiting for the proverbial shoe to drop. He is an enormous man, by the way. I mean, I saw him his perp walk today. He's like somewhere between six four and six six, and in almost every direction. Uh, not a muscular guy. That ogre description is kind of kind of right on target. He must weigh probably two hundred. Uh, 80 pounds. Uh, by the way, Phil Waters, I didn't bring it up because I know your wife tunes in, but uh, one of our commenters earlier said that Phil Waters just gets better and better looking with age, uh, is what it said. So <laughs> I, uh, I I forgot to put it up. I wanted to put it up and I skipped over it. So now well, I, I, I appreciate that. And, and my wife would appreciate it as well. So thank you very much. I, I'm, uh, I'm kind of humbled by that. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, beautiful. Uh, Kimberly C says, so many serial killers wind up being people hiding in plain sight. Scary to think about that. Uh, Jody Johnson, I appreciate this for a number of reasons. Uh, she says, wishing you a safe and enjoyable trip with Carmen Fam. We'll be here when you return. Part of the reason my body is breaking down, I am worried. I'm worried when I'm a workaholic. I don't like to leave. It is stressing me out. Uh, and the second reason I bring it up is you'll probably not see Phil and Scott live for the next two Fridays until I'm back. Um, when I get back here, I hope I am looking at uh, members of STS Nation in the chat and not just a blank screen. And then when I get into uh, my stream yard here, I hope I see Phil and Scott and not two empty holes in the background because it would I would start to cry some real tears. But anyway, moving right along, um, this guy was an architect, Phil. And uh, this is just a side point here. Uh, someone tweeted out, it's extremely unnerving. Uh, he was a builder, too. The Long Island serial killer describes his favorite tool as a cabinet maker's hammer. There's no way this guy completely hid the evil inside from all who know him. Uh, it's too much. I don't know that we know the manner of death, but what about the fact that he was using uh, a cabinet maker's hammer. Um, is that something that would raise your antennae as an investigator, something you'd go back and look at? Well, sure. And, and, and again, not knowing, I don't think it's been released about uh, the cause of death, right? Do we, I, don't, I think that uh, STS Nation help us out. Not that I know of, and admittedly, I've not been all over this case. I, mean, I, I just don't, I just don't know. I, I would, my thought is, is that they never released the cause of death because that was something they wanted to hold back in the event that they have evidence that leads to what they saw was the cause. So if it was just for the sake of this discussion, if the cause of death was in fact blunt, blunt force trauma, 
and there were signs that we had skulls that were left there that had holes in them as a result of being hit with something, uh, a, a piece of a, a blunt force object of some kind, like a hammer, then certainly that would be an important part of evidence in the full scope of the investigation. I've had, I've worked a couple of homicides where a hammer was used. It's a very uh, brutal, brutal way to, to kill someone. Very personal and it's very full of rage and violence. So yeah, that's a, uh, that would be a, if homicide that hammer, we would call that a clue. And Phil Waters, uh, it should have been my first question, not this far down the list. Um, and I know how you're going to answer it, but I like to ask it to, of you anyway. Uh, they took him into custody last night uh, in Manhattan, and they brought him out to Long Island. Uh, if you're the lead investigator, you get your your beeper, which no longer exists because they don't exist. Your cell phone goes off, and uh, you're called in. Say, we think we've got our guy. Um what do you do? Do you go to work at one in the morning? You start questioning him, and how do you start? And where do you go? Well, the answer to the first part of that question, absolutely. And uh, when that when that kind of event occurs, you go. You're being called into service for a very important purpose, and and that is a like I would with any individual. I want to get the background of the case. I want to familiarize myself with the evidence that we have and do a little bit of a, as much as I can, a psychological autopsy on the person I'm about to interview. And then that gives me the idea of what kind of approach I'm going to take with them. Now, this guy is going to be a smart guy and I have got to walk into that room kind of letting him know that I respect the fact that I'm not talking to some dunce, some idiot. And I'm going to have to, and, and these types of guys, these serial killers especially, for the most part, have huge egos. And so I'm going to have to find a way to play to that without making it sound like I'm patronizing him. So it would be an interesting interview nonetheless, and it would be first establishing a relationship with the guy. I don't want to jump in there and start talking about the, those bodies that we've just, that we have found and how does he relate to them. I want to know him as a person. I want to find out where he went to school, where he grew up, uh, about his father and his mother and any siblings and his current status, his marriage, his kids. I want to I want to know him as a person. And that way I'm going to be able to share a little bit of myself with him, a little bit of my life story and begin to start to to bridge that gap in that in that relationship where we now feel like we are we know each other enough to get him to to trust me. Because he knows where we're headed. This is not this is not a big mystery. And and as Scott has already said, this guy's been looking over his shoulder for a long time. And now here we are. So that's the approach. You don't want to run in there, guns ablazing, ah, we caught you, you know. So let's just give it up. Phil, do you see any do you see any relief in these uh, particularly serial killers when they are caught? Uh, that they no longer have to hide. Do you see any relief at all? 
Some you might. I think for the most part of the of the of the serial killers that I've studied, that I've looked at, the Ted Bundy's and so forth and so on, or BTK and so forth and so on. I don't I don't detect. I mean, you may hear him say the words, "I'm sorry, what I did," blah blah blah. But really, I I, I don't think I've seen any that I can recall that I've studied myself that ever really came across that they were sincere about what they, about apologizing or being remorseful about what they did. There seem to be a lot of them. Once they start to tell the story, you cannot shut them up. And it's almost as though they want to impress you with how clever they were about how they were able to commit these acts and keep them off of the uh, radar of being uh, listed as a suspect or being arrested for the amount of time that they were able to, to accomplish that. So it's almost a, uh, you've got to, you got again, you got to play off on their egos to get them to talk about it. And then once they start talking about it, most of the ones that, uh, that I have seen in those interviews, they're very matter of fact. They just sit down and they kind of tell you, this is what I did. This is why I did it. And there you go. Mm. So, um, it's always interesting with this type of a mindset, this type of a person. Um, Scott Duffy, I'm no detective, but I'm almost sure I saw the top of the dog's tail wagging in frame. Uh, we've seen Nugget. Is that is that your dog behind you, Scott Duffy? No. Oh no! And and I thought about bringing her on, but she uh, it would be very hard to contain her. To contain her, so I am not a detective. I should never become a detective. Um, Scott Duffy, Black UFO, 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 hundred percent, the UAP, unidentified aerial phenomenon. Uh, why are serial killers seemingly more prolific in the United States? Uh, Scott Duffy, I know you don't study data per se, but do you think it is true that the United States has more serial killers? And then we'll delve back into some of the details. You know what? I, I think uh, the American serial killers seem to take over our airways. But as I have done, dived a little bit, I realized there are quite a few serial killers outside the United States. They're just not catching our attention. And um, so I would imagine I, I'm just going to say it's like the flavor of the country, the, um, you know, human nature. And and the human nature of a serial killer is I don't think is is a is is a, a United States like I don't think we have our the um, the market on on serial killers so I would just think it's probably because they're they're getting quite a bit of attention we have some good ones for sure that um, have some some very strange can I uh, can I address that question hundred percent um, Phil. I have done a series that's been on for two seasons and it's called living with a serial killer. And the first season were six cases of the most prolific serial killers in the UK. The second season was a mixture. I think there were some from Canada, UK, United States. I believe that was the three countries represented there, but it's what Scott has just said. Uh, we, they're, they're everywhere. Um, you can read about serial killers in Russia. You can, I mean, they are everywhere. 
And, and I'm, glad, I'm glad you, Phil, I'm glad you brought it up because I interviewed uh, an FBI OG, an original gangster, as they say. He entered uh, the agency in 69, um, and I did Surviving My Biggest Case, which is going to air next week while I'm away. And it's about the hunt for Jack Unterweger, uh, an Austrian serial killer um, who looks like straight out, if you saw this guy, it's straight out of a movie. Um, I can't yet. Google Jack Unterweger, U-N-T-E-R-W-E-G-E-R, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Um, he was in prison for murder. He got out. Uh, he was kind of, quote unquote, believed to be rehabilitated. I'm not going to tell you the whole story. Short story, uh, long, as my mother would say, is he gets involved in like the literary circles. Uh, he is beloved by the media, and suddenly prostitutes start going missing uh, by the by the tens and uh, he makes his way to Los Angeles where I am right now and that's how the FBI gets involved so it's a fascinating story by a guy that's by the way uh, Agent McCrary worked with Ann Burgess Dr. Ann Burgess in the behavioral analysis unit he is a legend he's written uh, the man literally written a manual on stuff so uh, he takes you through this case um, and that was Austria and you see here from Anna Lissette Australia had some of the worst child killers in the world uh, in the 60s through 70s. So we're not alone, but we're pretty uh, we're pretty prolific, I think, when it comes to that. Uh, Patty David uh, saying, I love the Phil Scott Nugget from New York State. Best coverage. Hope some of the families get some relief. Prayers for you all. Uh, Phil Waters, back to you. So some of the other stuff that investigators announced they found, uh, not so surprisingly, on his computer, searches and actual torture porn. Um, let's stop it right there. Torture porn. Uh, that's not something most of us have. Uh, is that a is that a pretty strong investigative uh, piece of evidence? Sure, it is. They're going to be. They want to see what makes this guy tick, and all of these things are going to be affirmative links that are going to connect this guy to the fact that he's he's the suspect. And so this is all, again, I, you've already talked about it. I talk about it. This is a huge puzzle. They've put the frame together. They've, they've turned the pieces over. They put the frame together and they've started putting the pieces in. It's just, you know, taking over time to get this done. And now, even though they've got some pieces, you always talk about, there's always those pieces that the dog ate. They've still got enough of this picture that they know who their suspect is. And now, as you've already stated, that this is where the investigation really gets ratcheted up. Now we have the suspect. Now we're going to make this case better, and they're going to be serving search warrants, so forth and so on. And so all these little pieces of evidence, and I don't think there's anything particularly uncommon about finding these types of searches on a serial killer's laptop, computer, or whatever he's going through the interwebs. Because you got to remember, they get some sort of pleasure out of this stuff. This is something that is so intrinsically evil that they get off on looking at these videos, which just serves to fuel their um, desire to go out and carry out these kinds of acts. So I'm not, not surprised at all. Great piece of evidence. Again, kudos to the detectives for finding it. 
And Scott Duffy, another very important piece of evidence. Somehow investigators, and this always amazes me, uh, I read that off the top about how when uh, he went to a sex worker's house uh, and they kind of scared him away to get his money, uh, they spotted uh, a witness had mentioned something about a Chevy Avalanche. Well, investigators were able to match this Chevy Avalanche commissioned in the crime, allegedly, and they found it in South Carolina, and I believe they have it in their possession. Um, how key a piece of evidence is that, especially considering the amount of time, 13 years that has passed? How the hell do they find this car? How do they do it? Well, the, it, I've had a few cases where uh, I wanted to find a car. I, I had a suspect, so... Um, and and then uh, had a witness that put a suspect in a car. So here you have, it could it could be as simple as corroborating a witness to say you got the uh, the you know the 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 gender and everything about the guy right. Um, you say a black avalanche. Well, you know, could it be this? Could it be that? And and so databases of every car that anybody's ever owned, they are stored forever, and uh, they can go deep into the archives. But the right analyst can find that. And so now people um, sell cars and whatnot, and there are some good databases out there. One that comes to mind, I might be saying it wrong because I haven't used them in a while, but they they were uh, helped me out. I think they were the NCIB or NICB. It was a uh, insurance. Um, database, a national database for license plate readers. Not, not the license plate readers, but it was, um, it was an, an just it was an investigator for I believe it was a national oh, insurance yeah, crime. Through the, through the, yeah, yeah, through yeah. the insurance companies. Yeah, that was uh, a lot of our auto theft guys. They use those guys all the time. Yeah, and that the, the, they're just fantastic. They're able to tell if a car's when wherever a car's been sold, right? Because insurance is tracking it. If a car's been totaled, I've been able to go to junkyards where a car is last registered because every every you're supposed to, and most junkyards do, um, where you know you, you're registering a VIN. It is now repoed. It is sitting in a junkyard. I have gone to a junkyards and say, is it possible? anything's left of this car because sometimes cars can be there for quite some time and uh, it's, a, it's a hit or a miss. So for them to be able to track this, find this car is important, not only for corroborating what a witness said, but then of course, whatever trove of evidence that could be inside that car. We're inside his car. Sure, I'm having a. I don't know if that's there's a little delay on the system. I don't know if that's my computer. I apologize if it is. Um, Phil Waters, um, there were 11 sets of remains in this area. He's been charged with three homicides. Uh, and of those 11 sets of remains, one belongs to a toddler and a possible uh, male or transgender Asian man. So, what about these eight? other sets of human remains. Um, some people say he may have nothing to do with these bodies, that it might just be a dumping ground. Um, you just gave me a strange look. Um, is it your belief that we'll find out that he's responsible for all of these? And if so, why would a toddler be part of uh, uh, the commission of these crimes? And or, I mean, if it was a transgender 
Asian man. Maybe you thought it was a female prostitute. You don't know. But what is your gut telling you about these other eight sets of remains? And uh, those all belong to loved ones as well. Well, sure. And I would, I would hope that there might be some probative evidence there regarding DNA that may either link them to the rest of them or separate them out. Now, the, the, the Asian uh, transsexual, that, that is, I think, would probably be going along the lines of what you're talking about, uh, Joel. Picked, uh, picked the guy up, thought he was a female, turned out he wasn't. And he just did what he's been doing anyway. The toddler, the and this is just speculation. Uh, the toddler, it may have been something as horrific as he gets with this one of the victims, prostitute, and she brings the toddler with her, and so therefore. You get, if he's going to eliminate one, you got to eliminate the other. And I don't know that that's the case, but that would be my speculation that that may be a reason why we've got that in the fold. Or it's just a separate deal. Somebody, I'm sure they're doing a search there in the area uh, of any, any toddlers that were reported missing and so forth and so on and seeing if we can get that, that, that little body identified and whether it's in this investigation or another one, then that may yet to be determined. And I'm sure we'll be, that will be released if that information comes about. But, and uh, Phil, in your uh, interview, would you, at what point, if any, would you bring that up uh, about the toddler or this, you know, male or transgender uh, Asian person? Well, if we got to that point, where he is now making admissions and it looks like he's going to not just talk about one or the three that he's been charged with, but he's, he's going to start talking. And of course we're going to get to, there's going to be a point in time in that conversation where the question is going to be asked, give us your best memory of, all of the folks that you came in contact with that you placed in that area and then see if he responds with, well, you're, you're missing this one or you're missing that one. And then if that doesn't come about, then just ask him. Now we have a couple, you know, I would ask him, we have a couple of other uh, bodies that we've recovered out of that area. And do you have any explanation about why, what, what is your explanation as to why those bodies are there? Open-ended. No Open-ended. And um, this, is, uh, this is fascinating. Do you have to ever play good cop, bad cop, like you see on the movie? So, in other words, if he's not giving it up to you, does your partner come in and say, Rex, there are these friggin' bodies. Did you do it? I mean, did you ever do that? Is that is that just something we see in the movies? Phil is shaking his head and disgust at me. I, well, I've told the story before where we had a real case where the prosecutor asked me on the stand uh, in, in that kind of a scenario. So you and your partner were playing bad cop, good cop. And I said, no, we were not. We we're both good cops. Mm. And 
that's the way we played it. Now, I have seen detectives that have done that. I don't necessarily see, in fact, that when I do it, my instruction in, in classes, I play a video. It's a, it's a, it's a humorous video, but it kind of gets the point across about good cop, bad cop kind of scenarios. I'll have to send it to you, Scott. You'll, you'll probably yeah, enjoy it if you haven't seen it already. But, um, so I, I no, I, I didn't I didn't ever find that to be of a particular benefit. Now there and there's a little caveat to that. There were times when my partner and I would do a two we would do a two man interview, and he would be the more indirect and uh, maybe a little more pleasant. I guess would be the best way to put it. And then once he is through, there's always, we, we have a, a method by which we use to switch out of positions in the, in the interview room. So if he turned to me and he said, do you have any questions, Phil, that I know that he's ready for me to become the primary. And so then we swap out and he, I become the primary and he's now behind me because we don't want to be a distraction in the room. We don't want him trying to get to my partner because now he needs to be focused on, he or she needs to be focused on me. So once that transition is made, there have been times where I'm just kind of the uh, practical guy. I'm just the guy that says, okay, I've heard you discussing with my partner here, Da, 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 da. I just have a couple of questions. I'd like you to see if you can clarify it for me. And then I would ask those questions and then we would see where we go. But I was more straightforward and I would just say, look, let me just be straightforward with you and, and just to explain this, how this is going to go. So I was a little more, like I said, a little more practical and just straightforward and and all business i guess may be maybe the better way to put that more so than the hey you know let's get to know you you know we want you to get to know me kind of thing mm -hmm. so um in that sense i guess you could if you want to call that good cop bad cop but never really in the way the manner in which you're talking mm -hmm. Uh, Marina, our friend from Spain, uh, just so people know, killers get married in order to blend in and know they do not love their family. It is all BS. That's an interesting take. Scott Duffy, it leads into, uh, we've mentioned this, uh, Rex Hurman, the uh, alleged suspect in custody for these uh, serial killings dating back to 2010. He's a married father of two, an architect living on Long Island, working in Man Manhattan. Um, a former neighbor, neighbor identified as Carol Bergen, uh, spoke to Fox News Digital today and said that Rex once asked her brother, her brother, if he cried at their father's funeral after his death. Um, it's an odd question to ask, uh, but the bigger question here, um, how difficult or not difficult do you think it is for these serial killers to sort of compartmentalize? Um, why do they, you know, they, they go and get married. Uh, this is going to rock their children's world uh, for the rest of their lives. I mean, we have Carrie Rawson on the show and she's become a, a friend of mine, uh, BTK's uh, daughter. 
And look, she openly admits she deals with a post-traumatic stress disorder, all kinds of trauma. Uh, many, many years later, I mean, her father started killing in the early 1971, maybe. But the point is, point is it, the trauma never leaves the children. They become victims, too. Um, but why do we find out that so many of these serial killers are living these double lives? And how do they do it for so long? <laughs> you better have a good answer, Scott. <laughs> So I, I uh, Marina, I think in part she's 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 onto something. I mean, this is what the fascinating part of of why we 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 research and look at these uh, individuals and they become subjects of fantastic shows that get a lot of views. We're we're just fascinated by everyday walk of life people who also um, do. Th- some of the most horrible things uh, unbeknownst to everybody that's around them. So why take on a family? Sure, I could believe um, wanting to be a part of normal society. They, you know, the, I think there's been enough research and interviews of serial killers where you know, you look at their backgrounds, you look at whatever it is that they suffered through or endured, if in fact it was a horrible upbringing. And that's not to say this guy had one, because then there are those that have no horrible upbringing. But there is a, I think, from more than not, and there's always an exception to every rule, rule that um, there is an early, early obsession, whether it be for a drug or any other vice, you, it, it may be a regular part of your life, but then when you get into, I, I would take it that this guy got into the porn that they were talking about, this torture porn, very, very early, and, and it just kept uh, snowballing, and it's one thing to, to, um, to look at this type of porn and then to say that's not enough. And then nothing else satisfies this urge. And so he now has to turn it into maybe it's a game and who's going to play that game, but somebody that, that he's going to pay for sex and pay for the type of sex that he wants as a, and, and so he's definitely not getting that at home. And uh, so I, I'm just going to say it's an ups, it, it's probably an very early in his life and, and it got a hold of him and thereby the fantasy had to become real to him. And, and so it just snowballed and, and then um, and instead of the first time being, that's not what I thought it would be to my gosh, that's everything I imagined. And I don't want to, uh, I don't want to forget about it. So it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's an amazing place to go in the mind and the heart, but it's especially with someone like this, that, that is living a true double life. It's, um, I am absolutely fascinated by this conversation. Uh, whoever does not want to give Phil or Scott a hug right now is out of their minds. The work that these guys do is unreal. Um, I could almost shed a tear, but I'm too tired to do it. Uh, Ketchup brings up a good point here. 
our friend, once from South Florida, now from North Carolina. Uh, what was thought to be in the freezer inside the home for investigators to wear hazmat suits, Phil uh, Waters? Uh, there are reports that they removed a cooler from the home. Uh, that is never a good sign. Whenever you have the word cooler and serial killer side by side, uh, it gets even eerier and freakier. Um, do you think he kept some sort of bizarre trophy, perhaps a human body part, um, in a freezer for all these years? And uh, is it kind of uh, standard operating procedure, SOP, to go in with hazmat suits if they believe that was the case? It's not standard, but I think of this guy, I'd be curious to know if the, if the freezer had a lock on it. I would have to say just based on the fact that they have taken a freezer out of there and they wear hazmat suits. The purpose of the hazmat suits is not to protect them, it's to protect the evidence. So mm-hmm. I would say that there must be something in that freezer, around that freezer, something to do with that freezer that caused them enough concern that they did not want to contaminate or compromise the evidence that they had discovered. So therefore, we're going to remove it wearing the hazmat suits. Uh, Lindsay Shea, so happy to make live. Hope you have a great trip. Thank you, but I will miss you. I'll miss you guys too. Um, Scott, someone just mentioned about the wife saying, I bet you she's relieved. Uh, what does your gut tell you? Do you think this wife in her gut, speaking of so many guts, do you think she had a hunch that her husband was uh, up to no good and might be relieved that he was finally caught? I, I got to believe so. I, I think, you know, as we've talked about in other crimes, uh, you know, like mass killings and whatnot, they just don't happen. Um, it's not just somebody wakes up and does something that's so not them. There's leakage through social media, through this, through that, through behaviors, joking around, things like that. So I, I can believe that um, uh, somebody who's truly living so close to him, if, if in fact they really did have a, um, a life where they were living together a lot, I It'd be interesting to see if he's away a lot. But I would imagine um, messages, porn, et cetera, things like that, that that perhaps she came across, questioned him on throughout his past or whatnot. So uh, um, or or some some things that he might have dropped, you know, information just to, to kind of pique his curiosity to see what her response would be to something that's obviously he's been living with for quite a long time. So I, I don't doubt it for a second that that's something somewhere the, uh, uh, the spouse have, have had something of his, maybe not in the sense of, of being a killer, but definitely some, some strange things going on in his head. And Scott, is she being interviewed alongside him uh, by law enforcement right now? Uh, definitely being interviewed. So, um, not alongside him, but definitely being interviewed. Yeah, for sure. Uh, every imaginable aspect, and and I would I would imagine, and that's and that's a very careful interview because you're talking about her life, right? And 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 now people judging her. So law enforcement has to be very careful, and I'm sure it's very careful. Into it's a very sensitive area. This is her life. She's given to him has kids with him and so thereby that's all been ripped apart 
um, not just for something that's a neighborhood thing. This is a this has gotten international attention over the years. So um, I imagine the scrutiny will will increase. So law enforcement is definitely taking advantage at this point um, and getting. I would I would hope uh, um, you know it's one thing to do search warrants, but then to have amaz- amazing access to to perhaps trips, etc that they can get from her as opposed to, to document searches and whatnot that give them further leads. So she will definitely provide additional leads for investigators to follow up on. And we don't know the age of the kids, at least I don't know yet, but if they're adults, they would be interviewed as well, correct? Correct, yeah. Hmm. Uh, Brooke Nellius, Killing Fields by Houston. I've read about this. Uh, sure, Phil Waters knows more about it, but uh, wondering, they, they can't figure out if it's a single killer there uh, in the Houston area or multiple killers, and maybe uh, that'd be the case here. Phil, any comment on that quickly? Well, there's been speculation over the years. There was a, a killer that, uh, a serial killer, that did uh, finally, he had been a suspect for a long time in several of the killings down there, and uh, he took, in fact, I was working at the time when he was brought from Oklahoma uh, to avoid, I think, the death penalty in Oklahoma to come down and uh, and start picking out the bodies. And many of them were down there in that area where they call the killing fields. Yeah. Hmm. Um, Phil Waters, neighbor Michael Mustow, Musto, he's lived in Massapequa Park for 40 years. Uh, by the way, uh, someone said this was the house that he was born in, uh, Rex Hewerman. He bought it from his parents. Uh, so he's literally lived in the same home, if that is true, for his entire life, all 59 years. But his neighbor, uh, who took the train with him uh, to work, describes Hurman as a quote-unquote recluse and always to himself, uh, and then didn't even know. He says, I understand he was an architect in the city. I used to see him on the train because I t- take the train to the city uh, every day. Uh, he'd walk past my house. I would see his wife driving a beat-up green Dodge Charger. I never really thought they were involved in something crazy like this. It's not every day you wake up and see uh, law enforcement uh, on your front lawn as well as news channels. But uh, what about a guy like Michael Musto? Uh, would you be interested in speaking to someone like him? Do you want to talk to everyone that you can that has come in touch with this person uh, to make sure that no stone is unturned? Well, yes. I mean, we want to talk to anybody that has potential information about our suspect. And we want to know what their observations are. And uh, but, but remember, while witness testimony is the most evident, it is the most uh, evidence that's used is witness testimony. That's the most, uh, the, that piece of evidence is used the most in any kind of trial or, or investigation. And it is also it can become the least credible because witnesses have, they see things differently. If you talk to five witnesses to an event, they should have a different perspective because they're seeing that event from a different place. And so, yes, you want to, you want to talk to anyone that may have information about this guy. So somebody like that, Sure, you want to talk to them, you want to get them down there, take a statement from them. Uh, I would take people like that, and I would bring them in, and I would, if their information was that good, what I would get them to do is I would take a written sworn statement from them 
and get them locked into that story. And so, uh, because many times later on, when it comes to, we need you to testify, they all of a sudden, they get some sort of amnesia or they want to start changing things. And then you have to use that statement that they gave you as a sworn statement and say, wait a minute, I'm going to impeach what you're telling me now by what you told me then. So, but yes, that that's, that's critical to talk to anybody that we can get information from. Um, Scott Duffy, I'm interested in your take on this. I saw an interesting comment. So there's a YouTube video. This guy, keep in mind, was a recluse, did not like to talk to anyone. And he did an interview uh, with a place called Bonjour Realty that was posted to YouTube. And this came right around the time where this task force was being uh, assembled. And in this video, he says, I'm an architect. I'm an architect consultant. I'm a troubleshooter. Born and raised on Long Island, then working in Manhattan since 1987, when a job that shouldn't have been routine suddenly becomes not routine, I get the phone call. His clients have been Catholic Charities, uh, New York City's Department of Environmental Protection, American Airlines, and other major tenants at John F. Kennedy Airport. Uh, someone uh, put it out there, made the supposition that maybe this was done by the FBI to try to get him to talk. Is that something the FBI would do? Um, create some sort of fake realty company called Bonjour to get him on the record uh, during a YouTube interview to see uh, what information they could get from him, or is that really far-fetched? I wouldn't say it's far-fetched. I it's always a possibility, and I wouldn't even think it would have to be the FBI. It could, you know, if, uh, uh, and from what I gathered, the FBI is, um, you know, is an added resource to this to this task force. So it's uh, my, my thought is, hey, the task force is put together and bring fresh ideas. What are we thinking? What 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 talents do the investigators bring where they are thinking of something that may not have been thought about? You throw it at the I imagine there are many team meetings, roundtable discussions, and then thinking of, is that something that could bring evidence um, or get him to say something? So, I mean, it's not out of the realm. Uh, so it's... And then Scott, yeah, banter lion here. Uh, this is already uh, being anticipated. His lawyers are gonna say, my client did sleep with the victims but so did the other guys. They were drug addict prostitutes, but he didn't kill them. Uh, yeah. Do you expect to hear that sort of defense? Is that what oh, you're sure. Absolutely. You know, it's uh, just like I think we have discussed with um, um, BK, right? Uh, what, what if, if, in fact, his evidence was, if there was anything of evidentiary value of his being inside um, the, the uh, in Idaho, would it be, um, something that he could say, well, you know, I've gone to a party there and who, who's, who's taken notes or who knows. So especially with regards to a prostitute, um, a sex worker, any, any one of them having, um, it, that, that is what they do. And so they're, they're with many, many clients. Right. And, and so it would be, it would make sense. Hey, of course you're going to, find my DNA and you're going to find other DNA and whatnot. So that, that, but this is not just a, um, a crime of a sexual assault. So you're talking about a homicide and, and numerous homicides. And so 
there are many different pieces that go together to tie the homicides to him. And so, um, so I, I, you know, it's, it's, it must have been a, an amazing, uh, uh, 13 years and frustration law enforcement, but uh, again, never dropping the ball and sticking with it and constantly refining what, you know, how they're going to go about this. So great, great. Sure. Add it to the defense, but my, my belief is there are things that, that are very specific, um, as, as, as I believe we may be not aware or not aware of the manner of death, but I, I would imagine they have additional evidence to show, you know, this, this, this is the guy and, and the reason for it. And this is, the manner of death and, and, and only he has, um, whatever it is that, that connects the two. Remember the homicides are, are what gonna connect. That's a typical defense tactic, make admissions to the one thing to deflect from the main thing. So nothing, nothing surprising here. Yeah. Uh, you can see Phil is irritated by that, rightly so, because uh, it's const- constant. Not irritated by it. That's just the way it goes. That's <laughs> what they do. It's I've seen cat. it happen. I mean, you know, yeah. that's typical. That's a typical uh, tactic. Yeah, cat, cat and mouse game between investigators and uh, attorneys. Um, I do, uh, Scott Duffy mentioned those infamous initials now, BK. Do a very little bit of BK News in a minute, and then there's one other very twisted story I was going to get to. I wasn't going to do it, but we have a little time left. These guys are generous. So, um, But real quick, uh, I want this great investigative mind, uh, Phil Waters, any theories on the significance of the burlap bags? Uh, the bodies were found uh, wrapped in burlap. Uh, that's where they got a hair or two. Um, what's your uh, thought, your presumption as to why burlap bags? That seems to be the choice of this particular individual who was going to uh, – I mean, what we would call him in the business is he's gift wrapping these bodies. And that was what he chose to use to do that, to accomplish that. Now, again, all those, all those pieces of evidence, I am sure they're going to go and they're going to research where do those bags come from? Can they track where they originated from? Can they, can they in some way find out? How many people purchased those bags at this particular location? Are those locations in proximity to the suspect's house? Uh, so there's a lot of things, a lot of evidence that could possibly be gleaned from those bags. And it's all about, again, I say it over and over again, it's about attaching those affirmative links into this big picture and this big puzzle that tie him closer and closer and closer uh, to, those, to those murders. Uh, Patricia Burns, the journey to the dump site from his home and then back to his home is a 31 minute loop on the highways, obviously close. Um, Wilmington stuff. The New York Post has a story about a woman who encountered him weeks ago in the park and filed a police report. She was shocked earlier when he was arrested. Uh, That might have escalated it. Um, Scott Duffy, you said, uh, I think, at the beginning that these are the types of crimes this killer would have continued to commit. Uh, do you think he was uh, in the throes of possibly trying to lure another victim into his grasp here? And that's what this is all about. 
Yeah, and I and I do believe before before the show, as I was also watching the uh, the conference, the press conference, that there was some alluding to the fact that he started escalating in these practices of uh, the burner phones and the and and then of course developing these uh, relationships with with um, with particular women. So. My my belief is that that if not that itself, but a series of other things where it was okay. We time is not on our side, and we definitely don't want to be um, having somebody die on our watch. So I do believe there was some escalation that led that they they had what they needed, but then they they decided to uh, to pull the trigger and and get him off the street before something really bad happens. Hmm. Uh, analysts said a quick Google search indicates reporters are having a hard time finding the names of Rex Hewerman's parents, but articles are saying he has a special needs son. Um, that's just uh, awful news. I mean, just to pour salt into the wound. Um, what a horrible situation if that is the case um, for the family, for the wife. Um, hmm, that is awful. Um Let's move on to BK for a quick minute or two, and then I'll end with a probably uh, one of the more twisted stories in recent memories that, that does not have to do with human beings. I'll give you that as a little hint, yeah. uh, just because it's Friday. Um, Phil Waters, the evildoer, as you call him, uh, they have now halted demolition. The demolition on that home, 1122 King Road, has been suspended. Uh, till October at least, which doesn't make a lot of sense because trial is not supposed to start until October. Um, but they're saying that they're going to try to hold off as long as possible on the demolition. Uh, again, do you think the university needs to wait until this trial is over to knock that house down? Well, my, my personal feeling is I don't see anything gained by destroying it now i i think what what's the harm in leaving it there and 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 i, and I tell you and I, and I my sense is is that if i were looking at it i would say leave the structure there in the event that the defense attorneys want to take the jury through that house and then let the judge decide whether that's going to happen or not because what you don't want to get into, and I'm sure these prosecutors, I would think they're looking at this, what you don't want to get into is you don't want to give any kind of fuel to whatever the appeal process is going to be if and when he's convicted. So you do not want to add to that. And that's what these judges, and that's what these judges do in any of these trials. They make rulings where they have to consider is this something that's going to be used at, in an appeal? I mean, they're going to appeal it anyway. In capital murder cases in Texas, and murder cases in Texas, they are automatically appealed and they are affirmed and, and so forth and so on. It goes through the process. <clears throat> Excuse me. So uh, I don't see any. I, I don't. I don't see any negative about leaving the structure where it is, and let it play out. Now, again, as a detective in terms of the case they've got, if they did destroy it now, I don't think we lose anything in terms of evidence. 
So I think I've said it before. So if we were in Vegas, my outlook on this thing, it would be a push. Hmm. Uh, Julie Fru, Joel, I loved your kitty scooting through the airport. Um, while we're sitting here talking about this and while you're investigating, there's some guy out there that invented La Scuta, S-C-O-O-T-A, and my kids uh, were given them by my wife, and they are pieces of luggage that turn into scooters. So oh, you have boy. to follow me on Instagram at Surviving the Survivor. Instagram, Surviving the Survivor. I will be posting uh, my vacation escapades, and uh, you'll see my kids scooting through the airports. Uh, it was a sight to behold uh, as people were wondering what the hell was going on. But it appears that every toddler or kid under the age of 10 in America now has a La Scuta. So whoever invented La Scuta is sitting uh, high atop Beverly Hills somewhere in a mansion. And I wish I had come up with the idea for La Scuta, but I did not. And you should be paying me for this advertising that I'm giving you right now, Mr. or Mrs. Uh, La Scuta. Um, and by the way, Space Coast, our moderator, right here. Join the Discord to keep up with each other while Joel's on vacation. I have no idea what Discord is. I know it's another app, one of 10 million, where you can discuss. Look at this. And I will get on Discord, and maybe I'll force Scott and Phil to get on Discord. But you can talk about cases and things of that nature. Um, but I will get on it, and uh, you guys should get on it, and we can continue the conversation uh, there. But – We'll wrap, let's wrap up Koberger real quick, Scott Duffy, and then uh, I want to get to one, two more quick things. I'm pushing my luck. Stay of trial. Uh, the defense asked for an indefinite stay of proceedings. Uh, that was denied, but uh, John, uh, Judge John Judge did grant a 37-day stay uh, for Brian Koberger. Uh, the defense's reason was substantial failure to comply with selection procedures for a grand jury. What's going on here? Are they just trying, are these just delay tactics by the defense here? Yeah, they're buying more time. And that's, that's something I've seen pretty regularly when there's uh, difficulty in defending the case and getting what they want. So they're going to throw, you know, throw everything they can at this. Um, I guess there will be some, some, uh, some disparaging, Remarks and whatnot thrown at, hey, prosecution's not complying with this. We, we, we're not on a time frame, et cetera. So it, it's, it's defense buying more time and time. Um, I, I think if, if they can get more time, they see it as being in their favor. Uh, Phil Waters, that's enough with Koberger. I'd be remiss. Um, I don't want to poke fun at you, Phil, but you're one of the few here that is of uh, that generation that would remember this. It's before my time. Uh, maybe the, a little dinosaur, the dinosaur era. The dinosaur. Talking about Leslie Van Houten. She's the former Charles Manson uh, follower, yeah. convicted murderer. How do you feel? She spent 51 years behind bars. Look at this. I work Phil up every day. I love it. Uh, she was released. She's out on parole. 51 years I was born in 69. She was put in prison in 71. Uh, she was a teenager. She's only 73 right now. She still has a chunk of her life ahead of her. Should she have ever, ever been released? By the way, this is not the story I wanted to get to, but I want Phil's take on this. No. She shouldn't have been. And, yeah. and I can tell you, if 
and I, I've, I've read the book by Victor Bugliosi. I've, I've done all sorts of, of uh, research and reading about those, the, the Manson killings, Sharon Tate and those victims. And her and the other Confederates involved in that case uh, slaughtered those people. Sharon Tate was pregnant and they cut that baby out of the womb. I'm telling you, these, these people were evil incarnate. And they, and then, and again, they also took part, she took part in the LaBianca killings. And I believe it was a fork that she left embedded either in the chest or the stomach of Ms. LaBianca, Mrs. LaBianca, uh, moving around. I mean, what they did is, again, it's evil personified, prompted by a guy who was the face of evil in that era. And regardless of what she has become, she still has to be held accountable for what she did. So I, it's, it's wonderful that she's become a better person. At least that's what they've been trying to get her out for a decade at least. And it's always been about that she's a not that person that she was when she was 17, and blah, blah, blah. Well, none of us are. But considering what she did, uh, just go and read the, the, go and read the tape on the LaBianca family about her being released. And that's that's all you need to read. What, when was that? When was that? Did you say there's a tape on that? Is that what you just said? No, there's a statement that, that they they talked to the oh. the, uh, the the LaBianca family, the children and and go read their comments about letting her out. I'm telling oh, you that this is collateral damage. This is them reliving this thing all over again. And um, bad decision, I think, by that parole board. Bad decision. She should spend the rest of her natural life, just like Charlie did, in a freaking prison somewhere. What I love about Phil, he's a, uh, uh, a student of history. I knew he would know all about this, and I was correct. Um, maybe I could be an investigator. A deep thinker, Deb, other than not being a Yankees fan, we like her. Uh, Joel, are you in the new studio? I am in a new studio, but not the new studio. Uh, I think you guys are going to love the new studio. This is just a temporary studio while I'm traveling. Uh, but when I get back, I'm going to debut the new studio. Um, it's got a bit of a cigar bar feel, although people here pointed out that I have a halo, which is true. I'm like an angel. Um on to the final story. It's Friday. We usually do some twisted stuff. This is disturbing. I'm warning you in advance. Um, but it wouldn't be Friday without talking about a disturbing story with Phil and Scott. So um, you might want to close your ears and not listen to any of this. It has nothing to do with humans, which might even upset you more. Um, what is his name? Uh, let me find his name first. And I, I only, oh, there it is. Thomas Martell. Uh, does, a, does the name ring a bell, Phil Waters? It probably shouldn't. This is not the, uh, 
This isn't the kittens in the microwave story, is it? Oh, Phil Waters, how dare you destroy me like this? The guy reads a lot, too. So, a 22-year-old, his name is Thomas Martell, he turned himself into police on Monday for allegedly torturing and killing at least four cats. Uh, He is charged with two counts of animal torture. Uh, Phil Waters... Um, police said that he fatally drowned, squeezed, mutilated three cats in his care, according to this arrest report obtained by Fox 32 News. And all the kittens, and I'll stop after this, were allegedly named Shelly. Uh, he would give the new kittens he purchased the same name. What the hell is going on, Phil? And the details get a little worse, which I'll get to with Scott. But what is going on? Why would you name a kitten the same name and then mutilate it? Obviously, he has a very bad association with whoever Shelley was in his life. But uh, your take, Phil Waters. Well, that would be the connection. And whoever Shelley was, I would think, and again, this is just my observation, um, had a love for cats. That would be my take on that. And so, however that relationship ended with Shelley, and it may have been over the cats, for all we know. So he's decided that he needs to satiate himself uh, over and over again by killing cats and kittens that he names Shelley. So he is punishing her over and over again by using something that apparently that person loved. And so I would say that there's nothing wrong with him that a large a large caliber handgun wouldn't resolve, but uh, it would probably be more appropriate to stick him in a microwave and crank it up. Phil Waters, um, by the way, this is probably the funniest comment on a sad, serious day. Shelly says, "Uh uh-oh, that's my name, followed by Shelly's are nice. Sorry, Shelly, that you have to endure this. Um, If it makes you feel any better, I think he spelled it without the E at the end. Um, So I don't think it had to do with you specifically, but uh, it is a twisted tale. Phil Waters, do you think this guy Martell was on the road to becoming a Rex Hewerman? Do you think he was on the road... Would this have eventually led to killing human beings? Oh, I think so. I think so. That's what we find with a lot of these serial killers or people. That's how they start out. The killing of animals. They want to see how, you know, what it feels like. They want to see how the animal dies. They want to watch it die. They want to, and they come up with different methods like this idiot on how to kill something. So I think certainly he was certainly starting the uh, um, becoming a serial killer handbook. Mm. Um, Scott Duffy, Judge, uh, Judge McCarthy out in Chicago, he said uh, when uh, he was arraigned, we're seeing a pattern of going back again and again, uh, killing an animal, going out and getting a replacement. You kill that one, you get a replacement. You kill that one, you get a replacement. Unfortunately, this was allowed to continue for a sustained period of time and numerous animals lost their lives. Chicago police officers responded to this person's Wicker Park apartment um, and found these kittens in a bag. Um, And they, 
as Phil has alluded to several times, were reportedly microwaved before they were put in the bag. What level of depravity is that to not only kill these animals, but then microwave them? All I can do right now is think of poor little Nugget, who I hope is not listening to any of this, right behind Phil, uh, to hear that his cousins, these kittens, were abused and, and killed in this way. But, but Scott, what level of depravity to not only kill kittens, but then microwave them? Mm. Wow. So I, I do also have a cat, Pickles, a tabby cat. So, um, sorry. sorry. I hope, I hope Pickles is nowhere near. Yeah. Pickles is, uh, Pickles is upstairs because, Thanks. um, yeah, that's a, a extreme heightened level of depravity, uh, to know what a microwave does. I've seen some horror movies where they use a microwave on uh, one way or another to finish off either a human being or an animal. So it's obviously pretty sickening. And uh, for him to do it over and over again, which is also interesting, you said on an apartment. So I wonder if he's able to have cats, but not dogs. So it'd be interesting to see, you know, the fact that he keeps getting these cats but um, yeah, just uh, uh, um, an all-around depressing, depraved individual. But he, a- am I right that he turned himself in as opposed to being caught? No, the uh, the girlfriend turned him in. Oh, actually. the girlfriend did. Yeah, uh, she she filed a complaint alleging animal cruelty. Again, uh, you can't judge a book by its cover, but uh, he's a very clean cut. Kind of reminds me in a weird way of this accused Boston serial rapist. Sort of a handsome fellow, not not bad looking guy, clean cut, uh, not the kind of guy, you know, it's not the type of description or a look of a person that you would think would be doing this. Um, Phil Waters <laughs> prosecuted. And, who did, and, and what is that description, Joel? <laughs> um, let's see, uh, graying hair, goatee, Hawaiian. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, Prosecute? No, you. I don't know. Maybe more like a Rex Hureman, a big, giant, weird-looking oaf of a guy. But um, prosecutors, Phil, said that Martell recently told his girlfriend, and this is a quote here, which I'd like you to analyze. He enjoyed killing cats, and he had been like that since he was eight years old. Mm. I mean, that's a very young age. What does that tell you, Phil? Like nature versus nurture? Uh, do you think this guy was born uh, evil? Is it possible? I, I think you said you don't believe in that. But what happened at age eight? Well, no, 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 no. No, what I have said is, is that, uh, and of course, it'll, this will get him going. We are all born into sin. And so I don't know what his background is. I don't know what his parents are. I don't know what, how he was raised and so forth and so on. But I think there are times when there are uh, qualities that somehow manifest themselves in this type of act, these types of acts. And I've seen kids that came from families that you would think, oh my gosh, how did they survive it? How are they the people they are today? And they are wonderful people, productive people. They are, uh, you know, fine, fine, fine folks. And then I've seen folks that were raised in all the comforts that everything they'd ever wanted to ask for, 
and they turned out to be some of the biggest turds on the planet. So I, I don't know how that how that happens this way. I think it's a combination of things. There's a lot of things that that fulfill those components, and though, when those people get in that little that little niche, that weird niche. Uh, it, 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 they struggle to get out of it because they don't have anything else positive distracting themselves from it. They become fascinated with it. So uh, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. That uh, that uh, that's just my opinion about your question there. But I, I don't. Uh, I don't know. I just know there's evil in the world. And I agree with. Uh... Well, not necessarily Tiff Knox here. She says, Joel, no more stories like this, please. I don't want to glorify this behavior or spread ideas, please. Uh, I'm afraid that uh, we wouldn't be spreading ideas because uh, the evil people doing it. Yeah, we're, not, we're definitely not glorifying, for no, sure. They would be doing it anyway. However, people have posted that uh, animal cruelty should hold the same penalties as human cruelty, and I would agree with that. I'm a huge animal lover. Um and Phil, uh, to that point, someone corrected me once again that Nugget is a she. I probably called her a he. And uh, my beloved Mabel Rose of 17 years was a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful female that, you know, some mistook for uh, a male at times. And it would enrage me because she was such a pretty woman, uh, my beloved Mabel Rose. So I apologize deeply uh, to Nugget if I did uh, misuse uh, the uh, the the incorrect pronoun is she awake or is she no, still no, sleeping? She, she's still. Uh... I would I would jolt her out of her sleep to say hello, but I don't want to be cruel no, to animals. Nugget, come here, girl. Uh, here she is for the end. Come here. Come she's got to shake it off. She's come waking here. up. Come here. Here you go. <laughs> come here, girl. Here's Nugget, everyone. Here's Nugget. And someone says about this people, sick, sick people in the world, yes, but not Nugget. Nugget gives us hope. Nugget, I love you like my very own Chihuahua. I really do. If I was there, I would give you a, a nice big wet kiss. Nugget. She's a sweet. She's a sweetheart. Yeah, she sure is. She sure is. So um, this is a very sad goodbye because I'm not going to see you guys for two weeks. Um, Scott Duffy, plans for tonight. Um, laying low. What's happening? Yes, laying low, no plans tonight. It's a nice, humid night going to um, a Phillies game tomorrow with some of the kids. So looking forward to it. Hopefully the weather holds out and have a nice little family outing. So, uh, By the way, I always joke, but I'm half joking, that L.A. has the worst weather in the country because by day it's like 173 degrees. And the minute the sun goes down in the desert – it's 21 degrees, and I'm, I'm freezing. So I came ill-prepared, used to the Miami humidity, and I might have to go out and buy a sweatshirt tonight. Um, Phil Waters, it's going to be 133 degrees in Death Valley this uh, weekend. Uh, would you be curious to see what that feels like? Would you be curious to go there and just stick your head out your air-conditioned window to see what 133 degrees feels like? I didn't have to go to Death Valley to do it. If I was in Houston, Texas, it's about 150 degrees there. And so uh, my prayers go out to my, my folks in Texas, the Houston area especially. Uh, I talked to a friend of mine yesterday, and on his car it was registering 109 degrees. 
Mm-hmm. So, uh, Phil, look at this 106 in San Antonio. Do you say San Antonio or San Antonio, Phil? Oh, I say San Antonio. Yeah. Oh, you did. And look at this, Shelly. Never really heard from Shelly till uh, the cat killer. Now she's one of my favorites all of a sudden. 123 degrees in my car in San Antonio. Reminder please always check. Don't ever leave a kid in a hot car. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. We have a sign entering our town that says that, and it scares the crap out of me. Every time uh, I see it, Raul T- Thomas says, uh, goodbye, a Dodger sweatshirt to stay warm. Uh, Phil Waters, people know you so well. I, I just zoomed by it, but there was a comment saying, pizza and Bible study. What's uh, what's the plan? Bible study tonight, pizza tomorrow, and today I'm going to be out working on my Ohia posts here at the house. Your what? My Ohia posts. What are Ohia posts? Well, that's a wood, Ohia, and we have posts on the, let's see, one, two, three, four, I've got, I think, uh, eight, eight Ohia posts that I have to sand one at a time with a palm sander and then go back and restain them and reseal them because the weather kind of works on them over the last several years, so. When you do this stuff, does your wife say, thank God Phil is giving himself something to do so he's not bothering me? Um, Does she feel like you're wasting your time? Is she happy to see you busy? All of the above? Oh, by the way, Scott, the dog tail was your glasses. You were bobbing them up. That's what it was. I thought it looked like a dog tail. (laughs) My wife's attitude is, is that she is... Well, the the exchange is this. Why don't you, and then my response is, quit trying to be my boss. Mm. So that's the general sense of, Mm. or she'll say, you know what? She she does this innuendo, you know, where she suggests that I do something. And I will say, you want me to go do that right now? And of course she doesn't, but you want me to go do that right now? No matter how ridiculous it is, you want me to do that right now or whatever time it is. Mm. So, uh, but it doesn't seem to dissuade her. She continues to berate me with these suggestions. And that, my friends, is married life. Um, Scott Duffy, <laughs> uh, do you keep yourself busy? Are you like a handy guy? Do you do handy things? I can't. I really I can barely open a jar of pickles. But um, are you a handy guy? <laughs> No, I I did try, but I I am not a handy guy. I've I've for example, I've tried replacing a toilet and broke it. So you know, now I double my expense instead of calling somebody who knows how to. I'll, I'll toy around. I'll try some things, but um, I wish I wish I was, but I'm not. And Scott Duffy, would you be interested in dipping your head into 133 degree heat just to see what it feels like? Uh, by the way, they say in Death Valley, do not dare get out of your car because if you are locked out for some reason, you can't get back in. You will die very quickly. Uh, but nevertheless, would you be curious to drive there and just stick your head out the window for a moment to see what 133 degrees feels like? I Well, I do know what that feels like um, having spent some time teaching in Dubai mm. where I believe the top uh, was 119, and then everybody told me, well, it's dry heat. I'm not dry quite heat. sure what that meant. 
<laughs> but uh, we had um, open jeeps with uh, blowing air, so it was it was a pretty nice time. I worked in Tucson, and they used to say the same thing to me. It would be 117 degrees in the summer, and they would say, "Well, it's a dry heat, um, dry heat." <laughs> moist heat it doesn't matter it's heat um i used to make the mistake i would wear i was a cub reporter i would wear black leather shoes and suddenly my feet would feel like there were flames coming off of them and then i realized don't wear black leather shoes uh someone here chelsea says dry heat is safer so now i feel better um but listen it's a sad goodbye i hate to do it I'm uh, going to miss everyone. Cynthia Keith, wherever she is, it's 107 degrees. I'll be back in a couple of weeks. No live shows uh, for the next two weeks, but we will have uh, content being cranked out. And by the way, Phil Waters sat down with me for Surviving My Biggest Case, as did Scott Duffy. Scott Duffy's episode already aired. Phil Waters' episode is going to air about a triple homicide he helped solve in Houston, Texas, Unless you think that he is a hardened Marine with no emotion, he uh, choked up a little bit. You see the other side of Phil Waters, and it was a beautiful thing. So uh, we appreciate him uh, sharing that story with us. Um, probably the most random question I, uh, comment I have ever seen, I missed the Richard Bay show. That was a talk show in, like, the 1990s. Um, I actually knew someone that – dated Richard Bay, which is so weird. He may have passed away. I don't know. But he was around the time of uh, – who's the other guy, Phil? Uh, Morton Downey Jr. Morton Downey Jr. Yes. <laughs> the matter of Morton Downey Jr., yeah. My friend, shout out to Jeremy Newberger, he made a documentary that aired on CNN about Morton Downey Jr. It was an awesome documentary. Uh, he, was anyway. of, well, he was kind of the forerunner of Jerry Springer. Yes, sir. Interesting character. He no longer passed on to the big uh, talk show. Guy. Oh, someone is telling me. Oh, look, this is why he posted. He's alive. He's my cousin. He's a Sephardic wow. Jew. That means he's a Jew from uh, the Middle Eastern area. So uh, love that. Um, what I just saw another weird comment here as we uh, wrap this up. And now I can't find the other comment that I wanted to post. But such is life. Um, where'd it go? I don't know. This isn't what I was going to post, but, uh, bye Phil and Scott. Thanks for sharing your knowledge. Phil F I L and, uh, stay safe. Joel, we'll be here waiting for your turn. Love you, America. Love you. Hawaii. Love you. Delaware, Philadelphia, the UK, Canada, Europe, Australia, and everywhere in between. Till next time. Final seconds of the game, a chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <coughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. 
And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks. 